Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Then the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and guard it. He said to him, You may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, except the tree that gives knowledge of what is good and what is bad. You must not eat the fruit of that tree. If you do, you will die the same day. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the snake was the most cunning animal that the Lord God had made. The snake asked the woman, Did God really tell you not to eat any fruit from any tree in the garden? We may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, the woman answered, except the tree in the middle of it. God told us not to eat the fruit of that tree or even touch it. If we do, we will die. The snake replied, That's not true. You will not die. God said that because he knows that when you eat it, you will be like God and know what is good and what is bad. The woman saw how beautiful the tree was and how good its fruit would be to eat. She thought how wonderful it would be to become wise. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband and he also ate it. As soon as they had eaten it, they were given understanding and realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After spending 40 days and nights without food, Jesus was hungry. Then the devil came to him and said, If you are God's son, order these stones to turn into bread. But Jesus answered, The scripture says human beings cannot live on bread alone, but need every word that God speaks. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, the holy city, set him on the highest point of the temple and said to him, If you are God's son, throw yourself down. For the scripture says, God will give orders to his angels about you. They will hold you up on their hands, so that not even your feet will hurt on the stones. Jesus answered, But the scripture also says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their greatness. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you kneel down and worship me. Then Jesus answered, Go away, Satan. The scripture says, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left Jesus and the angels came and helped him. On the first first Sunday of Lent, every single year, we read the account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It's always the reading. And we'll get to that in a few minutes because 
What we don't get the chance to talk about every year is Adam and Eve eating some fruit in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. I tend to agree with the sentiment that that chapter from Genesis is one of those passages you should never, ever, ever read aloud in church without saying something about it. Because it's problematic. It's a difficult passage which has been poorly handled and has caused no end of problems. We've come to know this story as the fall. The moment when humanity falls from grace. When the sneaky snake whispers on Eve's ear that you won't die if you eat the fruit. It will be fine. In fact, you'll become more like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And so she eats the fruit and then she talks Adam into eating the fruit too. And here in this moment comes what's known as the doctrine of original sin. That human beings are inherently sinful. But what you also have here is biblically ingrained patriarchy. It's her fault. Eve done it. She made me do it with her wily ways. Cast women as temptresses, as corruptors, as siding with evil to undermine unwitting men. And if that seems a bit comical, then great. But sadly, though, it's not really that funny because it pervades our society, doesn't it? In ways that we don't even realize. We might look back and giggle at the old good housekeeping advice for wives awaiting their husband's return from a long day at work. Apply your makeup. Have your slippers and pipe ready. The dinner on. Keep the children quiet. And beneath all of the giggles are deeply entrenched inequalities. Would we still think it's odd that a young woman might want to be an engineer and a young man might want to be a nurse? That we still pay women less than we pay men to do the same jobs? So let's go back and look at this foundational story and see what on earth is going on and what Jesus' encounter with the tempter in the wilderness might have to say about it. So the first thing to remind ourselves about this story is what kind of writing it is. We've spoken about this before, how the first chapter of Genesis is a poem about creation in the beginning, and God creates over a period of days. And then chapter 2 is something different, something else. It's an origin story. It's an attempt by people who are very, very far away from this moment in time to try to explain something big and difficult and moral and theological and philosophical. Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we like this? Why do bad things happen? Where did evil come from? And one of the best ways to tackle big important questions like that is to write a story about it that invites the reader to wonder, to think about the whys and the wherefores. And in our time, we seem to have lost the ability to do that to differentiate between different types of truth. And if we can't do that, then this story becomes really, really problematic. To read this as a factual account 
is a problem. Especially when in just a few short verses, Adam and Eve get evicted from the garden and there are people in the world. They're not the only ones that are there. So this story is not a factual account of what happened. It is, however, a truthful account. It's an honest attempt to set out a way of understanding our beginnings. The start of our problems. So we need to go back and remind ourselves of a couple of things first. In the beginning, God created. And it was good. It was good. In fact, it was very good. The idea of original sin is, I believe, hugely problematic. Not least because of the word original. We've taken original to mean present from the beginning, always there, pre-existing. And it wasn't. This is a story about how sin entered into the world. Entered into a world that was without sin. A world including humans, which was good. Very good. And the second thing we need to remind ourselves about is there is absolutely no suggestion that the woman in the story is in any way secondary or inferior. Because we make that assumption all the time. Because she was created second means that she's not as good. That's what we say. In this version of the story, because there are two versions of the same story in Genesis, God takes a rib from Adam and creates Eve. That's not saying she's made over from a bit left over. That's not saying that she's not as good, not as important, not something additional. It's saying that one cannot exist without the other. That they were created as companions to live together in community as equals. They were both created by God. Both created in God's own image. And they were good. Very good. Originally blessed by God not originally sinful. And they live together in the garden and they have all that they could ever need or want. And then it goes wrong. Along comes this a created being. A snake. Craftier than all the other animals. And it's important to note that it's not Satan. The serpent does something we're all familiar with. He presents a question to Eve. Did God really say that? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And Eve replies back the instructions that God gave them. You shall not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. And the serpent says, yeah, but you wouldn't actually die. Not really. What will happen is that your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to tell the difference between right and wrong, just like God can. God doesn't want you to be like God. And it's almost the truth, isn't it? It's almost the truth. But it's not. It's a lie. It's a huge temptation, though, isn't it? 
If you eat that fruit, you could become like God. Sin is the stuff that separates us from God. It's the stuff that John's Gospel starts talking about right at the very beginning. The people walking in darkness. Sin causes to, to live lives that are less than God intended for us. And the fruit tastes so good that she convinces Adam to eat it too. After all, they're not going to die. And then they're aware of their nakedness. And for now, that's the only thing that's changed. They know. And they are ashamed. Ashamed of what they've done with nowhere to hide. A fig leaf to cover up. It's become a a symbol of trying to cover up something wrong with something completely inadequate, hasn't it? And all because they wanted to be more like God. These people who were already created in the image of God wanted to be even more God-like. And the consequences of their want, their desire, is that the man has to work hard and till the earth rather than living off the bounty of Eden. And painful childbirth for women. But it's only the serpent who's cursed. Not the humans. The serpent gets its legs taken from it and its voice. Doomed to slither on its belly in the dirt. The dirt. The very thing that God created the humans from. But more than that, the moral point at the heart of this story is about honour and shame. The people were honoured. They were special. God had given them dominion over everything. And when they ate the fruit, they were ashamed. The whole foundation of the society that Jesus finds himself in is honour and shame. Shame isn't the same as guilt. Guilt can be part of it, but it's not the same thing. Guilt is what you feel when you've done something. Adam and Eve were guilty. They had done something wrong, but that's not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem, and perhaps ours, is their shame. Because shame is about how we feel about ourselves. About who we are. We can say sorry for the things that we've done. We can make amends. We can forgive and be forgiven. Adam and Eve don't, though, do they? He blames her and she blames the snake. It's literally a big boy on it and ran away. It wasn't me, mister. I wonder what would have happened if they'd owned up, taken responsibility. But one thing that we all know, our actions have consequences. Sometimes ones that we don't intend. Adam and Eve have been changed. And they know that they've been changed. They know they're not what they were meant to be. And they're ashamed. They're in the middle of all they could ever need. In a place where we're told that God still walks in the garden with them. The temptation to disobey the word of God was real. 
and had huge consequences for them and their family and for their family's family and for us. Generations later. And then we skip to Jesus in the wilderness. It's the bit we missed out. We read about the baptism of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and then we read three weeks into the Sermon on the Mount. So we read this out of context. We should have read it weeks ago. We should have read it after Jesus is put into the water by his cousin John and comes back up and the clouds open and God says, This is my son with whom I am pleased. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness and after that he goes up the mountain and he teaches after healing the sick about how the kingdom of God will come. It will come when we keep the law. Obey the rules, all of them. The contrast in venues for the temptation is stark, isn't it? It's not a garden for Jesus. It's a bare and barren place. Adam and Eve gave in to temptation in the midst of plenty. If Jesus is going to be up to the task that's to come, his willpower is going to have to be so much stronger. There's no silver-tongued serpent for Jesus. He gets Satan, the Antichrist, his complete opposite. And Jesus is tempted with the same stuff. Power and self-reliance and vanity. Be more godlike. And his temptation is presented to him in the words of Scripture. It is written, says Satan. Did God really say that? Is that what that really means? And Jesus' response is to say that the whole of God's word must be considered, not just a part of it. That every jot and tittle must be fulfilled. That all the things that we're told of as strong and valuable and powerful, to be self-sufficient and self-reliance and status is what God values. It's not. God values obedience and compassion and community. We know right from wrong. We know. That's what the story of Adam and Eve is all about. But even though we know, we still choose to do wrong. Again and again and again. And we know. The difference with Jesus is that he's given the choice And actually for him there is no choice. There's only God. For him there is only following God's commandments. In the Garden of Eden there were two trees. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree at the centre of the garden was the tree of life. The tree that becomes the centre of Eve's desires is not at the centre of the garden. The thing that she valued most, that she wanted most, was knowledge. Lent isn't about giving up chocolate. It's not really about not eating cake. It's about examining what is the center of our desires, what we value the most, 
What's the center of our garden? And I wonder if our honest answer is that God is the center of our garden. Lent gives us, at the very least, the opportunity to remind ourselves that it should be. To remind ourselves what we should be doing. To reassess what's important to us. To consider who and what our priorities are. Jesus' response to the question is simple. Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' response is a summary of the first three commandments. To keep the law. To keep the law in full. There in the wilderness, the law is given anew. In the same place it was given for the first time. There, far from the temple, God is encountered. There. There in the dust, life is renewed. The desert waits for all of us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.